Hi there, everyone. This is Roger from There Be Giants. Yes, you're right. You heard correct. It's not Lawrence. Lawrence uh, is currently winging his way back from New Zealand, which is where I am at the moment. So I'm staying on for a couple of extra days. Uh, but uh, yeah, you have the pleasure of my company for uh, this particular episode of uh, Giant Talk, which is uh, the world's first OKR podcast. Now, <clears throat> I hope you're all fit and healthy and uh, uh, COVID-19 free. Uh, so uh, without further ado, I'm going to uh, crack on with today. And I'd like to welcome back a, a, a regular guest to our podcast because he's always got something to share. Uh, and that's Brett, Brett Knowles. Uh, how are you doing, Brett? Really happy to be back here again. Fantastic, fantastic. Now, um, I reached out to Brett to uh, have a chat with him about a rather contentious blog post that was issued or published a, a few weeks ago by a guy called Marty Kagan. Um, and it seemed to get quite a lot of traction. <clears throat> and he is... Uh, he, he, he's very senior in a, an organization called the Silicon Valley Products Group. And I think in terms of uh, uh, thinking around uh, products management, he seems to be something of a god, or he's certainly considered to be as such. Now, he wrote a, uh, he, he wrote a piece about team objectives, and it started off with a rather provocative sentence. Just let me read this to you. After many years of being a very vocal advocate for the OKR technique, in the majorities of company I meet, I have stopped recommending this practice. This is because in so many companies, even though conceptually the technique is simple and sound, it ends up proving a waste of time and effort and yields, yields little, if any, results. Now, the reason why, obviously, that pricked our <laughs> my interest and indeed Brett's was because it does rather uh, uh, fly in the face of, uh, uh, of our own uh, beliefs. But we wanted to dig a bit deeper into what was behind this. Uh, and uh, yeah, today is the opportunity for us to have a bit of a chat through that. Oh, it's also worth saying as well that um, I did reach out personally to uh, Marty uh, and uh, had an email exchange with him. Um, but unfortunately, he was uh, unwilling to come on to Giant Talk to uh, talk about uh, his piece. So, um, Brett, if you'd like to start us off, what, what, what did you? What were your initial thoughts about the piece? Well, I guess my first thought was uh, about bloody time. Like, there <laughs> there are no silver bullets. Like, the OKRs do a whole bunch of really awesome things, but they're not going to create world peace or put COVID-19 in its place. They are just, I, I think metaphorically, uh, you know, as leaders, we've got this bag of golf clubs that we carry on, you know, 14 clubs. One of those clubs is called Lean, one Six Sigma, another one's activity-based costing, another one is OKRs. And the trick is to know which club to use when uh, on what shot. And so as I scan through some of its points, my initial reaction was, well, of course, an OKR isn't going to solve that problem or this other problem. Now, I think, though, that if he wanted to write a laundry list of things that OKRs fail at, he could have done a better job. There's many other ways that OKRs don't fulfill some of the promises, but uh, his ones are an interesting way to stage set a conversation. 
Yeah, and I, I and what strikes me is that uh, the the way that um, uh, it, it was it was written was that it was suggesting that if you just literally hammer OKRs in there without any real uh, thought or time or resources being given to how you actually set them up and how you properly just how you implement them rather than just go do it then this what what he then lists as being the reasons why they don't work they then they then uh, come to pass they then become reality whereas what what i've definitely found is that if <clears throat> there is uh, a, a uh, almost a design exercise that's done on how you're going to use okrs and then the change management that should come along with that then you've got a much better way of sort of clearing and and paving the path for for OKRs. Um, And you know what, some of the things which uh, he mentioned, which we can go through in a bit more detail uh, in his piece, I would actually agree with. I would actually agree with. Um, Because these are techniques, or rather um, approaches, which I've I've seen uh, uh, used with OKRs, which have led to OKRs being either really just not successful or, or failing completely. Um, <clears throat> so I think the first the first point that he talks about, I mean, and he looks at this from a very, very product point of view, doesn't he? Uh, I mean, this is his world. This is the lens through which he views the world most definitely. Um, right. So one of his comments is, you know, most companies are not set up in a way to support OKRs, and he talks about specifically feature teams. Mm. Well, that's a, a very specific application inside of how many Silicon Valley organizations, high-tech firms, yeah. organize themselves. But you know, when OKRs go mainstream, you know, our clients are you know people like uh, you know Nike and IBM and stuff. They don't have those feature teams, so you know, it is very specific. The that particular point he's making. Exactly, exactly. You know, I've been working with a council here in New Zealand, um, which is uh, obviously, you know, has a has a very different structure to even even Nike, let alone any Silicon Valley company. But it doesn't mean to say that OKRs are any of the less uh, valuable, beneficial to them. And this is what I mean when I say I think the design work up front is super important because I've always thought of OKRs as a set of principles and practices which. Uh, it's I see I see it being our job to help the client interpret and apply those in the way that's going to work for them. In the best yeah. Way that so them. You know, my my metaphor is to a certain extent, Roger. You know, your life, my life is almost to be using that golf metaphor, the caddy. And the caddy's job is to go. Well, based on how you're swinging today, you know, maybe you shouldn't be going over the water. Maybe you should take two strokes and go around it. Or in the care world you know, based on how your organization set up, perhaps you should do it this way or some other way. So his comment about most companies aren't set up. To me, OKRs are organization chart indifferent. They're talking about the objectives of what we need to do and the key results. And that doesn't matter whether we're running a matrix or a typical autocracy, it, it makes no difference. But if you design it the wrong way, if you put OKRs in that require a matrix organization and you don't have one, well, guess what? They're not going to make you happy. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So 
I think it's very much about being cognizant of what's there already. And like I say, working, working through those principles and practices of OKRs, but honing them in a way which is going to work best for the organization. And also as well, keeping maybe some sight on how you might want the organization to develop. Because one of the things which he, he, he makes a point of is that uh, he doesn't believe that OKRs can, can deliver cultural change in themselves. And I would, I would definitely agree with him on that. But where I think they can help from a cultural point of view is if there has been activity or energy put into helping to shift the culture in some way, I believe that OKRs can help to nudge that in the right direction. They can be one of the, you know, one of the enablers, but they are not the solution. They are not the solution themselves. Yeah, you know, in my mind, your know, culture values, you know, they describe how we behave in organizations. And We've all tried to change behavior, but that's super tough. But it turns out that our thinking is the root of our behavior. And if we can change how we think, we'll change how we behave. Yeah. And I believe OKRs are a super powerful thinking tool. They allow us to rethink what we need to do and keep our focus on it and identifies the cross-functional nature of work. In other words, how it is we need to work together to create success. And with that framework in mind, it does change behavior. So to say that in the opposite tense, if you build the wrong OKRs, you will enable a dysfunctional culture. Yes, completely. Yeah, I completely agree with you on that. Completely agree with you on that. Um, one of the points that he makes when he talks about feature teams and product teams, he says the main idea is to give product teams real problems to solve and then to give the teams the space to solve them. Now, okay, again, he's talking about this in, in relation to uh, product teams, but I do actually agree that that is a point which um, applies to any team that is looking at an OKR. Uh, and, you know, we find that um, OKRs, or certainly I find that OKRs are, are, are really coming to their own when they're used to test out ideas, test out, you know, a hypothesis which might be obviously seen as a solution to a problem that uh, has been presented. So, you know, I think in that, in, in that example, there's something that actually I would really agree with them on. But there's a, for that to happen, there has to be a really strong degree of empowerment and consequentially accountability, because you can't have empowerment really without that um, in the business. So there's a, there's a good example of where, you know, the culture is really important. Yes, I would um, absolutely agree with you. I always find that when I'm talking to clients, if they get bogged down in the context of their business, if I take them out of their business, they can understand the concept and then apply it back to their business. So think of any good football team, and, and Roger, I'm you know trying to cross the pond and, and talk <laughs> British, uh, you know, what, what us uh, over here would call soccer. Um, you know, on that football team, I could have objectives for the overall team. And that has, you know, to do with not only win the games, but, you know, fill the seats, pay the bills, uh, you know, sell the logo wear and so forth. But if I drill down to any department, the goalie department, the midfield department, the forward department, none of them have sell seats. None of them have sell logo wear. They've got a different set of objectives that the management team need to make sure that each department, if they do their job, aggregates up to the overall corporate success. But it doesn't mean that there's this linear function between the two. And when I read his article, to me, it looks like he's trying to 
do that left brain linear straight cascade down from you know galactic headquarters to some programmer uh, down in the field. And I believe that's where uh, many OKR systems fail. Yeah, indeed. I actually find that um, the majority of OKR implementations that uh, have attempted to go down to individual level, in my experience, usually really, really struggle, really struggle, and often get rolled back just to team OKRs. Um, yeah, I mean, that's that's a different issue. To me, um, you know, the lower you get in the organization, the less strategy there is and more tactics. So down at a low level of an organization, whether it's a, a, a programmer level or someone working the drive-through at McDonald's, the, I can get it down to the individual level because I've done the work breakdown structure down to the point where that makes sense. But in most jobs that require some sort of cognitive skill set, some problem solving um, activity, that doesn't work. And furthermore, in most instances, we're trying to encourage teamwork, not solo players. So even if you could do that breakdown to the individual, it's not necessarily a good thing. Yeah. So. And Wilson, our research indicates that every employee feels higher loyalty to their peers than their boss. So let's leverage that to our advantage. Let's set that team up to work like a team and manage like a team and pressure each other like a team. And the boss's work gets easier. And the team makes sure that they develop and support those people who have unique skills that are a component of success. Absolutely, absolutely, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go on to expand uh, that point around team OKRs in a second. But I'm just gonna take a pause there because we're just gonna take a moment just to hear from our friends at Coan about uh, uh, their uh, their OKR system. So uh, we'll be back with you in a second. Coan is a purpose-built solution for managing everything about OKRs. It helps your teams achieve their objectives and key results. It gets them aligned, and most importantly, it helps them stay engaged. A lot of people start with shared spreadsheets, but they simply don't scale well enough when you're using OKRs properly. But with Coant, you can scale your OKRs across your entire business, no matter the size or shape of the, of the teams. It also keeps your teams motivated and moves them in the right direction. There's loads of features that are really good about Coant. Uh, Roger, which is one of your favorites? Yeah, so one of the things I love about Coant is its integrations. So often we get told when we suggest another system to, to a client, oh, crikey, not another one that we have to use. Well, actually, the fact that it integrates really well with systems like Slack and Jira makes it pretty seamless. Uh, and one of our clients has really gained a huge amount of benefit from these integrations. He's an investor, and he's taken Koan and put it right at the heart of how he manages all the businesses which he uh, has an investment in. As, as they provide updates, they come through to his Slack account and he can really keep on top of uh, the updates from uh, the businesses on their progress against their OKRs and their reflections and such like. So really, really valuable, valuable uh, I I way of uh, sharing information around that. Okay, and welcome back to Giant Talk. I'm here with uh, Brett today and we're uh, we're discussing the, the recent... Uh, uh, blog post from Marty Kagan of the Silicon Valley Product Group. Now, just before we broke off, we were talking about the importance of uh, team OKRs uh, and indeed how they might actually be more beneficial, more valuable than, than, than individual OKRs. 
what the, the, the point that I wanted to go on to expand on around team OKRs, and again, this is a point that Marty makes, which I, I'd have to be in agreement with him on, is that um, <clears throat> OKRs really are at their absolute best when they're worked on typically by cross-functional teams, or certainly whatever team is, 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 is required to drive that particular objective forward. And that may not always be a, a completely fully functionally aligned team. It could pull from, uh, from, from different people from different parts of the organization. And I don't know about you, Brett, but I've, I've seen that work incredibly well, incredibly well from a point of view of cutting through silos that might exist between functions. What, what's your, what's your experience around that? Well, I would say it's a bit like trying to use your seven iron in a sand trap. So this tool of OKR is incredibly useful in many, many different applications. And so depending what the, the company's uh, pain point is, OKRs uh, can be developed and designed and executed in a way that compensates for whatever that, that weakness might be. And that sounds like a pretty grandiose comment, but you know, the concept of management by objectives, you know, Drucker's work by you know, 1957, you know, stands the test of time. Like what we should do should link up to the organization's objectives. And gosh, wouldn't it be cool if I could measure my results in that regard? Uh, as you know, I was involved in some of the research that developed the balanced scorecard in the late 90s. Back then, you know, we'd get monthly financial data and maybe customer data once a year. Whereas now, you get uh, financial data moment to moment. You get customer data moment to moment. We've got the computing horsepower to handle that. We've mm -hmm. got the cognitive skill set of employees that's way greater than it was back in 82 when I started consulting. And the pace of business is so much faster. So OKRs are just the same management stuff that we've been doing since we we're guiding sheep over the hills, but it is the contemporary version for today. What exactly. does that mean? Yeah, helps yeah. us with organization design, helps us with, culture helps us with the the skill set required yeah yeah it's fit for purpose in 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 modern business isn't it yeah that's that's what i was trying to say that's <laughs> no, a worry that's a worry and 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 what's your thoughts on how uh you know if an organization is 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 fully embracing and, and is is fully leveraging okrs how do you see the the the, the role or indeed the challenge for leadership uh, um, playing out in that situation. Just talk to me about how you see perhaps the role of the leader um, working in that space. Well, you know, back to my earlier metaphor of golf, right? In my mind, building a better set of OKRs is a bit like buying a better set of golf clubs. I've been arguing my wife for years, if I bought myself a set of tailor-mades, my game would improve. Mm -hmm. And she normally chuckles because she recognizes the fault is not with the club. So even if we put in the best OKRs in the world, if leadership doesn't change their swing, if they don't use this tool to their advantage, it's not going to help improve the game. So there's no question that leadership needs to change the leadership style. Mm. And, and in terms of the leadership style that you see working best with OKRs, what would you say that is? Well, it would, 
I would start by saying, and I hate to say this because uh, Roger can get big headed about it because you're the one that taught me this. It's, it's all about how we run the meetings. You know, we have to change the conversations about performance. Again, back to our football team, just to keep the metaphors going. When you're playing football, let's say you're doing a lousy job in midfield. The whole team knows about it. Not only do they know about it, they can figure out what they can do to compensate for whatever's going on. So what if in organizations we made conversations about, you know, made full transparency about how we're doing and made those conversations risk-free? So when someone came up to me and said, hey, Brad, I see you're having a rough time. Can I help out? Or why do you try doing this? I had the same problem before I tried it worked for me. Wouldn't that be more interesting? As opposed to what happened right now is we try to submarine the bad performance. We have a one-to-one closed-door conversation with a boss. Like that whole old management style that, you know, made us famous back in the 60s and 70s is wrong at this point in time. So how is it that we have more frequent, less formal performance conversations? And I would I would take it a step further. And so my hobby horse here is meetings are the most important piece of machinery we have in our businesses. They are super powerful in terms of generating ideas, getting teams mobilized and so on. But they're the one part of business that we've never bothered to engineer. No one sat down and said, here are the five steps of meeting. And this is what step one looks like in step two and step three. And this is how we do the time. This is how you speak. These are the rules. We, we throw a bunch of people in a room, throw in some donuts and bagels and some coffee and pray <laughs> to God that good ideas come out of there. Well, that's not a manufacturing process. We need to engineer our OKR meetings so that they drive the right conversations and the right decisions. And it's not rocket science, it's slam dunk easy, but we don't do it. So it becomes this huge untapped opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think, again, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to be in violent agreement with, with, with Marty here. Um, uh, it, it, one of the things that he says is he talks about, all right, it's still within the, the context of product teams, but he says empowered product teams uh, and OKRs especially uh, are about management, but that's actually about better management. Okay. Um, sorry, it's, I beg your pardon, is about less management, but actually it's about better management. And I think the risk is that, um, I, and I have seen this, this, this happen, or rather, I've seen, I've been, I believe that this has happened in some initial iterations of OKRs, which we've then been invited in to, to help improve, is that managers have literally just set OKRs and have then just stood back and just thought that empowerment was about just letting people just get on with it without any, you know, any, uh, uh, any, any oversight, any support or, or, or such like, you know, complete hands off. Um, and that in itself can, can cause just as much, as, as much trouble as, as going down the full command and control routes, I think. Yeah, OKRs are not artificial intelligence. This is not fire and forget. You build your OKRs and the organization will manage itself. Yeah, heat-seeking OKRs. <laughs> yeah, well, so, but that, you know, you think it's, you know, you give a chuckle, which points to the irony. The irony is many people think if you design it, you'll have this awesome outcome, but you have to have those meetings. And you know, there's there's some formulas to figure out how frequently your meetings need to be. So think of an old mechanical watch, right? Some of those gears move once a second. Some just move once a month. Different departments inside your organization need to meet at different cadences. So 
So sales, programming, those things, maybe they do meet once a day or once a week. Marketing, maybe once a fortnight. There's nothing wrong with it. Now we have to agree to synchronize our watches you know, once a period. So let's say once a month, we all get together and find out where we're at. But the issue is without those frequent conversations, you don't find risk early. You don't allow us to adjust. I mean, right now we're talking about COVID-19. All my clients are busy getting together and redoing their OKRs. It's not end of quarter, but we've had a seismic event occur. And the faster that they can change their objectives and take advantage of the market gaps that are created, and they are being created, they're going to gain market share on others. We've got one client that sells a bunch of instrumentation to docs. Well, it turns out doctors are not buying stuff right now. Now, many doctors are also not busy because people don't want to go in into a doctor's waiting room uh, just out of fear. So now I've got idle doctors and I'm not buying anything. Well, let's not keep showing up trying to sell them stuff. Why don't we show up? have a cup of tea or a cup of coffee with them, have a great conversation about what's the emerging science and what the great new tools we have and so forth. So now when they begin buying, they understand that stuff already and we built that close trusting relationship. So my OKRs need to change as fast as possible after these significant events like COVID-19 and those who don't make the change will be losing market share. Yeah, absolutely. It's what was what we've always called the curved ball event, um, and how you should, you know, when when we do the design with clients about how their OKR uh, framework, if you will, is going to work. Um, one of the things which we get them to plan out and um, almost create a bit of a drill for is what, how to deal with these curved ball events should should they ever occur. Um, yeah, and so uh, again, you know, uh, um, homage to you. Um, I did for many years think if we built better OKRs, we would uh, get the solutions we need. But, you know, I now recognize if you don't have a mechanism, a a series of practices that you kick into gear uh, when you get thrown those curveballs, then uh, you're going to end up uh, striking out. My God, we got a third sport in here. This is awesome. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, Brett, I really appreciate the chance to talk through this. I think there's some um, really good points that have come out of it. And I always obviously enjoy our chats. Um, and uh, yeah, I think um, I think the listeners uh, will hopefully have found that useful. Uh, I'm going to write a piece as well, just to sort of um, kind of respond, if you will, to, to, to Marty's post as well, um, which you'll see, uh, I should imagine, in the next uh, in the next week or so. So that'll be going out on LinkedIn. Uh, I guess my reflection on that would be careful about taking the bait. Um, The reason he didn't want to go on your podcast is because he effectively sells services to solve the problems that Hmm. his article creates. In other words, he's done this to be provocative and to create conversations like this, which is awesome. On the other hand, I think some of the things he said were built just to sound controversial. But as you said, you look at them and you go, well, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it's a classic sort of maybe, dare I say, clickbait situation. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and, you know, in, in the piece that I'm going to write, I'm not going to bitch about it. I'm not going to bitch about him at all. I'm actually going to be, in many respects, violently in agreement with him on uh, on most of the points that he's making. Um, so, yeah, you know, I, like I said, I, I've been... I've been approached by a number of people, um, uh, whether they be clients or, or, or contacts on LinkedIn, asking for for comments and response on it. So, 
um, yeah, so I will be putting something out over the next um, over the next few days on it. I think. Um, well, good. I'm glad you're more mature about it than I am. <laughs> uh, not to worry. Okay, so. Brett, let's leave it there now. And I'll just say thanks to everyone for tuning in for this. Uh, to uh, You could say it's a, it's a, it's an episode of Giant Talk that's definitely done on tour, uh, like I say, down under at the moment. Um, we're going to be fighting our way back to the UK, hopefully over the course of the next few days. So fingers crossed next time you hear from us, we'll be back, uh, back home safe and sound. And uh, don't forget to leave us a review on wherever you're listening to the podcast, whether that be through Apple or Spotify or Google or wherever you choose to uh, choose to subscribe. And yeah, look forward to uh, having you join us on uh, a future episode of Giant Talk. Thanks very much, guys. Thank you.